I think I'll make it. Yesterday was one incredible day. But I'm really worn out. And I wasn't even graduating (laughs) and all. And I wasn't involved in setting up parties and so on and so forth. But uh, I think one more time would serve us well. High school graduates and college graduates, would you stand, please? Come on. Stand. We are very proud of you all. And uh, tell Rachel she's in trouble. She's not here. We didn't have her stand. So we'll do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, This morning, we've got a tickly little title here. All right. You have your outline here in your bulletin. You can follow along in this. We are presently studying the book of Colossians. It is about one thing, Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Well, today we've come upon a passage that really is like a three-ring circus of religiosity. I think we had to make up that word, but... I tell you, the older you get, and the more you track along with uh, Christian things and books and writing and, and issues of church and all, the more you recognize just how garbledygook it is all across the board. Confusing. It can just be downright confusing. For the person who never has grown up in church, for the person that's really interested in seeking and searching what it is all about, if they really look at the the spectrum of things, no wonder people kind of have that look up in the sky like, oh my goodness, what am I getting into? And it's not just because of all, here's all these false teaching cults out there. It's within evangelicalism also. And it's a, a great challenge. Well, here in the book of Colossians, in chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses um, 16 through 23. Verses 16 through 23. And here we've come upon, uh, again, the, the, um, the outflow of this theme of Jesus being all that we need. We don't need to add anything or any one, nothing to the equation of being right with God. We said it before, we'll say it again. Jesus plus nothing equals... Everything. In Him we have everything in our salvation. We don't have to add anything extra to it. But Paul has come to this point now in his writing to this church that there are things we have to be careful of and paying attention to and staying away from. And yet they're very subtle. These things that we're going to be looking at today... um, All of this is very subtle. And listen, it's really attractive to my flesh, my old man, my nature. 
It's very attractive. That's why I've set the, uh, the outline out like this. And I've started by saying, here's our susceptibilities. Our susceptibilities. And it's going to come across like these are actually attractive things that, you know, calls us to a, a deeper life. A higher life. A something extra life. You know, when it comes to Christian living, it comes down to, like, here's what we really desire Versus here's what we really, really need. What I desire a lot of times in my, um, if I'm not thinking of the truths of the word of God, what I'm thinking ends up being things like, I need to earn God's favor um, by doing something more. And I want to show others my spiritual accomplishments that somehow pats me on the back and says, wow, you're really spiritual. Well, I want that. And I hope you want that to be more spiritual in your life. You want to draw near to God in your life. But it's a very subtle thing that gets us off center. And you have to watch out for that, Christian. And if you're not a believer, it's not even an issue for you because you need to first come to faith in Jesus Christ alone, Him alone. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, for being made right with God. Right now, you're an enemy of God, not believing on His gift of salvation. You're an enemy of God's. And thus, you need to be reconciled to a right relationship with God the Father through Jesus. You must be... I said it last week, right? You must be what? Born again. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So my desire is to jump through these so-called hoops to gain greater spirituality and, and showing that I'm on the right path. But it, it is. It's a very fine line of wanting recognition, proving our worth, gaining something for ourselves, and yet still drawing near to God. You follow me? Challenge. It's a challenge. But what's my need? What's my need? My desire is to kind of do those accomplishments, climb the ladder of spiritual success, but my need is God's grace. It's God's grace. And you and I need to continue on in the classroom of learning about God's grace. We need to keep encouraging our children about God's grace. We need to remind ourselves about God's grace. It's a gift, my friend. It's a gift. And it starts with salvation and it carries on through your Christian life. And yet it's, it's kind of inter, intertwined with the issue of you needing to be disciplined in your life to move on in spiritual maturity. You still have to do that. But you have to be careful not to cross over into saying, well, I, if I do this, then God will favor me more. And that's not true. Because He's given you what? He's given you everything in Jesus Christ. You're His beloved child through faith in Christ. And we get a little picture of it with our own families. You know, it's not like, um, you know, your, your child has to, you know, 
jump through more hoops to gain your favor because you're suppo- you already love your child. So there's, there's those pictures that we have of what God is wanting to teach us and, and grow us in. So, I just, I think though, as we study this passage and look at it, we realize, yes, there is a lot of complexity to things and we've got to be careful to understand what the scripture tells us about how to proceed in the Christian life. So, these are three attractions of religious activity that Paul deals with. Three attractions of religious activity. Number one is the narrowness, the narrowness of legalism. And obviously, you know, it's, it's one of these things that draws us because it's about God's law. And why, of course, we want to please God and do what he says. And the thing is, it gets into what we see in verse 16. Look at it. He's gone through all this thing, you know, all this passage regarding your, here's your position in Christ. You're dead in your transgressions. You're now with Christ. You're buried with him. You identify with Christ in that way. Here, that's your position. And now verse 16, therefore, looking back on what's been said, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to, and here are these, here are these issues. No one's to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, there's a lot of little directions we could go here, but what I want to just focus in on is that it's actually an attraction to our our thinking in our lives because we would like to say, yeah, I've achieved this. And we've grown up with that kind of mindset. You know, do good in school. Get good grades. All that. It builds in that, in that way. It's a momentum thing for us. But when it comes to a, a, a relationship with God, we need to understand this is by grace. God's gift to us. God's help to us, God's strength to us, and we don't take it for our own applause, we give it, we give praise back to God for what he's doing. But see, what gets entangled in this is, you know, someone, like here in verse 16, someone judging us by saying, well, you, you aren't eating or drinking the right stuff. After all, look at the Old Testament, here are things that we've got to maintain, and I think even now, I, when I was growing up as a young boy, I remember my friends who went to a Catholic church saying, well, I can't have that at dinner on Friday night. Because I didn't, I didn't understand that. But what? You, you can't eat certain things on Friday night. I think even the Catholics now have backed off on that demand upon their people. But there's other things too. You know, you, you shouldn't eat this or you shouldn't eat that. Same with drink, you know, stay away from that. You know, we've got uh, friends here in our community that say, no, you shouldn't be drinking caffeine. Uh, things like that. You know, all sorts of, here's, here are rules, you know, that we can glean from the Old Testament placed upon a person to categorize them in a spiritual way, to rate them in a spiritual way. 
So it's letter A, a special diet. And letter B, special days that are put upon folks. And obviously, these arose from Jewish practices which originated from God. But notice what he says in verse 17. Things which are a what? A mere shadow. What does he mean? Well, it's not the real deal. It's a shadow. It's pointing to something with substance, something firm, something real. It's not a shadow. It's the real thing. I would love to run into a shadow of a tree rather than the tree itself. Yes, I did that many a time as a boy. Trying to make the spectacular catch in the front yard. You know, I never made the spectacular catch. Okay, but he's making a point here. And this is, listen, this is the remedy, as you see it in your outline. Here's the remedy for it, that we need to understand the strategy behind legalism. Do you ever get caught in, in thinking this way and living this way? Well, I better do this because Pastor Woody would, you know, blah, 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 whatever. You know, it's, it's about a man-made thing. Uh, and, and even in this category, we say, but it's in the Word. I, I'm learning it in the Word. But what happens is it becomes a, a measuring stick, so to speak, for saying, well, I'm more spiritual and I'm not doing this and you shouldn't either. And thus now becomes, here's that verse 16 thing again. Let no one judge you in regards to these issues. Why? Well, gee, I I never thought of that. What's the context of Colossians 2? Jesus! Jesus! He did it for you. He accomplished it. It's done. It's finished. It's his righteousness, not yours. Now, okay, now we stepped into something here. So what about my practical righteousness, my obedience? I don't, what, you saying I don't need to obey? I don't need to do it? Of course not. See, the life of Christ in the believer is going to promote what? Christ-likeness. Are you responding to him in your life with faith and obedience? Yeah, there's the challenge for all of us. We've got to be stepping up to the plate and saying, yeah, I need to walk in faith and obedience because of what Christ has already accomplished for me so that now, you know, whether I die in this next minute or whether I live to be 100 years old, I'm growing in that faith. I'm, I'm pursuing His righteousness. So... So understand the strategy behind legalism. We think with legalism, we think we accomplish something or achieve something for more favor from God by keeping rules. In this case, like Old Testament law. And by the way, special days, special days is a very interesting bit of discussion and study because we've got many loved ones or friends who are involved in um, Seventh-day Adventist churches. What are they saying? Well, they're saying you have to what? 
you have to keep the Sabbath because that's one of the commandments. And we, if we don't study, if we don't learn that Jesus is our Sabbath, He is our rest, then we get caught up in keeping a law, keeping a rule. I better keep the Sabbath then because that, that's in the Bible. So today, after you leave church, you better not do anything. It's a Sabbath day. How do, we, how do we wrestle with that? How do we understand that? And it's real easy because it's a, it's a kind of a, a hoop that if I jump through it, I'll feel better and I'll feel like, oh, God's favored me now more because I'm jumping through that kind of a hoop. You know, I, we, we get down to the bottom line, you know, I picked on Mackenzie Wooth and said, have you kept the Ten Commandments? Well, no, she hasn't kept the Ten Commandments. Have you? Have you? What's the matter with you? I guess I don't have it. I don't joke about that. Listen, because behind each one of these, there's a bit of intimidation a bit of intimi- spiritual intimidation going on here. Well, Dale Young, you know, you know, he just doesn't, he just doesn't do it. He just doesn't get this thing of Sabbath day and uh, you know this and that or whoever you're talking about. And it's as if I, if I'm saying it, if I'm coming across with it, I'm the one that's give, you know giving the appearance that I've been doing it. I've been keeping it. And what does that make me? Can you say Pharisee? So the remedy is get to understand the strategy behind legalism and then recognize and get out of living for the shadows. Okay, you can fill that in your outline. Verse 17, the idea behind verse 17 is get out of the shadows. You know, in other words, living for those kind of things, you know, because in Christ, he's he's the answer. Okay. Okay, number two, the next attraction for religious activity is the loftiness of mysticism. The loftiness of mysticism. Now we're into another realm, another one of the rings of the circus of religion. It's mysticism, okay? The loftiness of mysticism. Um, and here we need to understand, uh, let's look at the verse and he says in verse 18, look at it, follow along. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by notice by delighting in self abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions. He has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows a growth or grows with a growth, which is from God. All right. So what's mysticism all about? Uh, Mysticism is that something extra special that uh, and and it, it, it dealt with things of 
uh, bodily abuse. Self-inflicted stuff. Why? Because you were wanting to experience a deeper life, a deeper spiritual ex- uh, experience. And so it, it's about exercising bodily abuse, if you will. You say, that's kind of strange. Well, it, it shows itself up in some of our reactions to things in life. You know? And um, in, in this case, it got a little far out there. It, it got a little exaggerated. But So there's the exercising bodily abuse or self-inflicted pain under letter A. Meaning that this showed... It, it, by, he says, by delighting in self-abasement. Delighting in. In other words, I wanted to... If I was involved in this kind of thing, I'd do it to, in essence, do the, the around-the-horn thing to show how spiritual I am. Or how humble I am because, oh, look at what he does. He, you know... He puts bodily pain upon himself all for spiritual living, spiritual growth. The other under letter B is exercising religious experiences. Religious experiences. And this is another kind of a fine line issue because I want to have spiritual life and experiences going on. I want to experience God's work in, in our church, in my life, in our family, all that. I want to experience that, don't you? But here is this other side of it where it's saying the worship of the angels taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. What is that saying? It's like here's all this stuff that's, you know, brought forth, you know, by the individual. Listen, I've mentioned, I've tried to mention this before. I understand it. If we got a big, huge crowd together out at the, out at the high school football field or at the county fairgrounds, we wouldn't have to open the Bible. We wouldn't have to open up the hymn book or the song book and sing anything about Jesus. But you know what we could do? With the right leadership, we can get everyone stirred up. Because it's a crowd thing. It's a crowd thing. And if, if it's, done properly you can whip everyone up into who knows what but the guy up in the on the, on the platform could sure do a, a a cute you know a cute number on everyone just to rile everyone up it could be about whatever you know the price of tea in china <laughs> if he's a, a slick communicator <laughs> There's something about being in a group. And it, it adds to the whole issue of, don't you want to experience something deeper? And let me tell you what I have. I've got something deeper for you spiritually. And don't you want to have this kind of a vision or this kind of, a, of an experience? And it pulls at what? What does it pull at in you? It pulls at your emotions. It's not something based intellectually now i'm not i'm not trying to say it's all about your intellect but it does matter what you think okay so the loftiness of mysticism was if you abused yourself enough and had certain these apparitions and it, you know expressed your expressing itself in like worship of angels as to 
as if to elevate the vision of the experience with the angel above the reality of knowing Jesus. So it's a very subtle attraction. And what it does is it, it just slowly, gradually moves away from the authority of God in his word. Okay? We need to understand that. That's what's happening here. Here's this attraction of the narrowness of legalism. Oh yeah, I want to walk in the narrow way. Or the loftiness of mysticism. Oh, that is so cool. That is really neat. How do I get on in that? Well, the remedy here is understand what subjectivity is all about. You can fill that in in the outline. Understand subjectivity. What's subjectivity? (laughs) It's arising out of one's personal perceptions related to you know here's how i feel and we're we're we've built that up in our culture we've really built that up in our culture about well how do you feel okay and the bible calls us how are you what are you thinking what are you thinking and it's not just something we read and just get get airheaded by more and more reading. No, we read so that we can learn. So that we can grow in our love for Jesus Christ. And thus, here's more of the, the experience side of it. You know, we want to learn to love the Lord. So, the, you know, it's a, it's a challenging issue here. By the way, I read this in, in my notes in preparing... That uh, a way to understand mysticism. And don't think that you're not drawn into it. Many of us are drawn into a, 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 an approach of mysticism. But this is a little helpful uh, phrase that I want to share with you. Mysticism is remembered this way. It begins with mist. And it ends in schism. Okay. All right. But the, verse 19. What is verse 19 telling us? This individual and those who are affected by it are not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Therefore, verse 19, stay connected to the head. You say, oh yeah, I am. Well, no, not in practice, you, you are not staying connected to the head in practice if you're going after lofty experiences that are unfounded and not driven by the Word of God. Stay connected to the head. I want you to look quickly, keep your marker in Colossians and turn uh, over to Second Peter. Second Peter. Peter... If anyone could have uh, talked about experiences, Peter is one of the lead candidates that you know could talk to us about experiences, and one in particular he writes about it in in Matthew or he he was involved in it, and here in Second Peter he writes about it, and that is the experience with Jesus where on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, you can't get much better experience than that, man. Now, that's lofty. That is cool. That is out of this world. And Peter said, hey, let's build some tabernacles, so let's stay here. I mean, we got the inside track. 
from the other disciples, they, they missed out on this retreat thing. You know, let's go on. Let's set up some tabernacles here. This. Let's worship here. You know what he says in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. There you go. And he says, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Peter was, you know, able to say, I could go on that experience for the rest of my life. But he didn't stop there. Look at what he says. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were on uh, with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, made more certain, to which you do well, Christian, to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Okay? What is Peter saying? Yeah, I had, I had the top-notch experience, but here's the deal, folks. You stay on with the Word, the Word of God. That's the light in the dark place. And you are living in a dark place. You've been brought to light by Jesus Christ. You've been brought into the kingdom of light by the King Himself. But you, are, you live in a dark place, therefore walk with the light of His Word. Live, in your, live your life in that way. So, stay connected to the head. And that's what we keep, keep going after. Okay, so we've had the narrowness of legalism, the loftiness of mysticism, and now number three, kind of a similar thing here, the strictness, the strictness or, yeah, the strictness of asceticism. What's that? <laughs> well, Let's look at verse 20. He says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as... And here we go. Here's this thing of asceticism. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Refer, which all refer to the things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Okay, there's a lot mentioned there. But here, the strictness of asceticism, it, it's submitting, it's basically the call for you, well, submit yourself to rigid rules, letter A. Submit yourself to rigid rules. Now we're getting more specific. Now we're getting more intrusive. Don't touch. Don't do this. Don't do that. As he mentions here in verse 21. Don't handle. Don't taste. Don't touch. It's now where we've gone to in, in years and years past where the monks went. The monks got out of the, the culture and out of the society and went off to Monksville, the monastery. And they could say, I'm not touching, I'm not handling, I'm not tasting. 
And it's more so of a rigidness to their life and their lifestyle. And letter B, it's submitting themselves to vigorous self-denial. And these two things combined demonstrated that one was seriously spiritual. Now, we've not just, you know, we've passed from just the general, everybody's got the legalistic thing going. And here's some of the really top-notch guys that have gone on to mysticism. But now we're getting really serious, really disciplined with asceticism. It's much more vigorous self-denial. And it's got the appearance of wisdom. And how? By adhering to rules and by applying a severity upon one's body. Certainly, that had to result in a much deeper level of spirituality, right? Following after that. So this tactic was based on the thinking that the body is evil. And the only way to defeat it is to starve it or to beat it. And so asceticism is the thinking that if you add up enough physical negatives, you're going to get a bunch of positives coming. Mere avoidance becomes the pathway to holiness. Now, I hope I've been clear in trying to lay these out. They have... I've laid them out as if they were attractions to gaining spiritual uh, fame or spiritual uh, success in your life. And with each one, there's a remedy. And here's the remedy for number three, the strictness of asceticism, is understanding what it accomplishes. Nothing! And mark that down. It ac- understanding what it accomplishes And then just write out nothing. Nothing. Now, in verse 20, look at verse 20. What does Paul start with? He starts by saying, If you or since you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to these kind of decrees? Why? So he's putting forth a challenge and he's confronting you with this. And so, verse 20, review your position in Christ daily. Review it, remind yourselves, just go over it again and again. What's my position in Christ? Who am I in Christ? What's my identity? Who am I really as a Christian? Because the world is full of... of, uh, The siren calls, come this way, come this way with your life. Follow this path, do this. And the Bible is coming back over and over and over again. It's about Jesus Christ, him. He died, he's buried, and he resurrected from the grave. So, ask yourself that question. If you sense that you've gotten into some of this stuff, you've been living your life in this kind of a fashion, figuring that you're going to gain more spirituality in your life and climb up that little ladder of success with God, you need to remind yourself of your position in Christ. I try to remind myself before I come up here on a Sunday morning, Galatians 2.20. 
I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I don't ever, you know, it's such a challenge not to have Woody coming forth. But Woody comes forth all too much. And we want, we want to see Jesus. I want you folks to get into the habit of saying, I want to see and hear Jesus this morning. So, these are very attractive things. But notice, in verse, where is it? It's verse 19. I want to back up to verse 19 because this is critical. This is about how you, not the, not the susceptibilities of things in life, all the teachings in life, but here's now the stability. The stability. And you, you mark down verse 19 where it says, being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments, just like your, your knee Joints and ligaments held together. It grows with a growth which is from God. That's where we want to go, Christian. We want to go to stability in your life. You ever have a tweaky knee? You ever had to have your knee replaced? You know that you're not very stable. And getting a new knee... And healing that up, now you're, now you can say, ah, I, I can move now, I can walk, I can do all these things because there's stability. And here's the idea that Paul is painting for us. Here's this growth. Okay? God has ordained true growth for you. Authentic growth. There's a life that pleases Him. Just like with our children. We love Him. You know, they they grow up and we love them. Yeah, they make mistakes. Duh! We all do. Yet we want to see them grow in likeness to Jesus Christ, to, to grow in faith in Christ. So, with this uh, wrap-up now, in your outline, it's saying... Our stability. Our stability. How can we be strengthened? How can we be strengthened? You look at verse 17, and what does verse 17 tell you? That Christ is our reality. He's, no, he's not the shadow of things. He's the reality. Christ is our reality. Say it this way. Christ is what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the truth for your life. He's the reality. He's the real deal. And you don't have to get caught up in chasing after shadows of what's to come. He's the reality. Verse 19, another part of the remedy features of our outline. Verse 19, Christ is our food. Christ is our nourishment. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. We take in Jesus. And then he says this, this radical thing. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. What is that getting at? Well, he was talking about taking Jesus in. 
consuming Jesus like you would food and drink. Consuming Him. Taking Him in. He's your life. He's your reality. And then verse 20. Another part of the remedy. Christ is our wisdom. Okay? If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why are you living in this way to the world? Walk in wisdom. Jesus is your wisdom. And then verse 23. Here's what it comes down to, my friend. Here's what it comes down to. Christ does what nothing else can do. What no one else can do. And that is, what does he finish verse 20? Look at verse 23. He's saying, look at these things. These things just have an appearance of wisdom. It's self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body. But what? But are no value against fleshly indulgence. This is what he's driving at. We think that this is going to cover my fleshly indulgence, my sin nature, and I'll just do these activities of religious stuff and I'll get better with God. I'll grow in spiritual ways. No, you won't. You're still going to have the beast of sin in your life to deal with and no one can handle that. I can't handle mine. You can't handle yours. The only way you get transformed is through the power of Jesus Christ in your life. That's the only way. And some of you here, maybe you're, you're saying, you know what? I came here and, you know, yeah, I've been struggling with this habit. And I know it's crushing my family. It's destroying my family because of my habit. And you can't handle it. I can't either. I've been there with a lot of people struggling, crying over their broken lives. But Jesus Christ can. Because why? He's real. He's not the shadow of things. He's the real thing. And you need to trust in Him. You need to turn things over to Him. If you're struggling as a young person, as a middle-aged mom or dad, or as an older person, it all comes back to Jesus Christ. He is our reality, our truth. He is our food, our nourishment. He's the bread of life. He's our wisdom. And without Him, we're lost. And we're, we're undone. He is the only one who brings, and here's the, if you want to fill in the blank, it's transformation. It's, here's how you are transformed. It's not through a religious uh, workout and all these exercises that you've got to do. No, it's through you obeying Jesus Christ. You trusting in Him and walking with Him. And we do that by looking to Him in His Word. We're going to remember his, his death right now. We're going to partake of communion. And I want you to quiet your heart. I want you to ask God to guide you. I want you to ask God to forgive you of your sins. That's between you and God. If you need to make things right with somebody else, you need to go deal with that and not partake of communion. But make things right with those who you need to make things right with. And if there are children in here that have never partaken, that don't understand, please do not let them partake. We'd like to talk with you and help you explain to your children what communion is all about. It's not a little treat time here at church. 
it's a worship, a time of worship and a time of intimacy and communion with God. So I'd like for the men to come at this time who are serving and helping us out here.